right, everyone, we're going to go ahead and get started. The rest of you just take your seats. So growing an area of your business is hard, especially when you're a company the size of IBM. However, last year, my team of data analysts and I were asked to participate in an initiative to grow a strategic area of IBM's business. And luckily, we found a way to use Tableau to help us do just that. I'm Kelsey Perkins, and I'm a senior data analyst on IBM's marketing analytics and data team. And today, I'm really excited to share with you all the story of how we found a way to use Tableau to foster agile, data-driven culture change, and ultimately grow a strategic area of IBM's business. To get us started, I'm going to take you through what that area of business growth was, as well as what the growth initiative looked like overall. And then I'll start to get into some of the more nitty-gritty details of how we were using Tableau on a daily basis. So hopefully at this point, a lot of you are wondering, what was that area of strategic business growth for IBM? Well, that area was SaaS, or software as a service. And now some of you may be wondering, as I certainly was when I first joined this initiative, what is SaaS? Well, SaaS is essentially a way that you buy and access software. I think one of the easiest ways to describe this to people is when you think about popular B2C software like Microsoft Office. Now, I know I may be on the younger side, but I still remember when my parents came home one day with this big box of Microsoft Office installation instructions and CDs. You know, we started putting it in our home desktop computer to get it all set up on our desktop computer. And I promise you all, that very same 90s copy of Microsoft Office is still in my childhood home today. My parents are still using that at our home desktop. Now, if my family had been using a SaaS model instead, rather than my parents shelling out hundreds of dollars to buy and purchase Microsoft Office up front, instead we would pay a monthly or yearly subscription fee, and we would always have access to the most up-to-date version of Microsoft Office, which we could access online. So as you can see, and probably assume, you know, SaaS is a really great business model for a lot of companies. You know, companies can really capitalize on the lifetime value of their consumers, and consumers have access to better products. But you know, it isn't all great. I was taking a look at Microsoft Office recently, and does anyone remember WordArt? They don't have this anymore. And you know, I remember in computer class as a kid, we had an entire lesson dedicated to learning this and how to do this. It was like, quick, what are the computer skills that our future generations need to know? Word art. So, you know, all jokes aside, SaaS is a really great business model, and it's not just for B2C software. A lot of businesses use it too. And so, I mean, think about Tableau. We're all here for the Tableau conference, and as you heard in the opening keynote, Tableau is a SaaS company. And believe it or not, IBM is a SaaS company too. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't think of IBM as a SaaS company. They think of all our really big things like IBM Cloud and IBM Watson and mainframes. And that's what people think of when they think of IBM. But, you know, we actually have a lot of different offerings that, you know, are sold as SaaS that even run on the IBM Cloud. But, you know, it's no fault of anybody for, thinking of, for not thinking of IBM as a SaaS company, right? Because when you look at IBM, our services business is actually 60 times larger than our SaaS business. So again, it's no wonder that people, it's not the first thing they think of when they think of IBM. And you know, as I was saying, IBM, you think of big things, you know, our nickname is literally Big Blue. So what made, you know, this woman on the screen, Jenny Rometty, the CEO of IBM, say that focusing on SaaS was a strategic priority for the company? Well, SaaS, is a growing market. 
and Gartner predicts that it's going to hit $113 billion by the end of 2021, and that means it will have nearly doubled in size from 2017. So given all of this information, our company decided to name it a strategic priority and put a growth initiative around it that I was a part of. And so rather than just say that SaaS was going to be a priority, our company made it a priority. And they started by naming a senior member of our C-suite to lead this initiative around SaaS. And that senior member of the C-suite was Michelle Peluso, the CMO of IBM. And so she's the CMO, I'm on the marketing analytics team. It's only natural that then my team got looped into this growth initiative that you know, maybe at its core wasn't meant to be a marketing initiative. And Michelle, with her really unique leadership style, she brought a lot of really great new ways, this agile data-driven approach that challenged a lot of the older practices that teams were currently, uh, currently doing. And the biggest old practice that she really challenged was the fact that sales and marketing were working in silos. So this is a huge pain point for a lot of companies. You know, we would have on one side, the sales teams doing pipeline reviews, deal cadences, thinking what they could do to impress their clients. You would have marketing on the other side thinking, what digital tactics can we try? What events can we have? What, what things can we do to grow our reach and you know, really represent our brand well? But they weren't always reaching across the aisle when, you know, as we in the industry know, when sales and marketing work together, that's actually when you can create the most business value for a company. Aside from just sales and marketing working in silos, there were a lot of the same ideas being thrown around each quarter. So, you know, this idea of what has worked in the past will work again. But when you're trying to aggressively grow an area of the business, the same ideas won't necessarily work. There was also a general lack of ownership. You know, IBM, again, as I was saying, was a big company. There's lots of big calls, lots of big sales calls, lots of big marketing calls. And a lot of times, by the time you reach the end of these calls, it was hard to remember who exactly said they were doing what. And, you know, given the nature of these calls, there then was a lot of waiting to take action. You know, if you don't have really explicit ownership and there's a lot of players involved, it's hard to keep track of what we're doing and how quickly we're doing it. So, with our new approach, one of the biggest changes that Michelle came in and made was setting up these weekly win room calls. Essentially what these weekly win room calls were, were they, they were these calls that brought together all of our sales and marketing leaders into the same room. So there were a few different business units that were involved in this initiative, and they would each have a weekly call. You would have the chief marketing officer of that business unit, the general manager of that business unit, and then all of their team members that were really actively involved in the initiative coming into one room together to discuss what their strategic priorities were and how they thought they were gonna grow the business. As the analytics team, it was our job to come in with new insights to each call that we thought could help grow the business. So essentially the way these calls would work is we would all come together, we'd do kind of a touch base on where we were in terms of sales targets and business growth, and then as the analytics team, we would present a new idea that we thought could help grow the business. And then the different people in the room would start to react to that idea. They would maybe you know, derive some actions from it and assign stakeholders, or maybe they would say that they didn't agree. But in any case, we were coming with a new, it was our job to come with a new analytical insight each week. And, you know, once actions came out of those insights, there was public ownership. So we used Trello actively during these calls. Someone would share their screen, and if there were actions and someone committed to doing it, they would write their name on that card, and then the next week when we checked in, we would see if it had been accomplished. And something that Michelle says a lot is that there were no passengers on these calls. So we really tried to reduce like the big bloated calls where there's lots of people just listening in. The only people who were allowed to be involved in these calls were people who were actually taking ownership and actually doing something to try and help grow the business. 
And again, you know, I said that these, were, these calls were happening every week, so we were acting really fast. We were working on one-week sprints, and each week we would come back and check in on our progress. And just to emphasize here, the sprints were happening over the course of a week, but this was a daily mission for teams. So we were working day in and day out on this one mission all together as sales and marketing, and everybody taking ownership for these different actions. So, you know, you can imagine that with this type of intensity, you know, it, it, it could sometimes get stressful, but we made sure to have a lot of fun and really, you know, have this great culture and community along the way. So one of my favorite things is a lot of the senior executives at IBM on these calls would just start creating bets with each other. I guess in the spirit of Vegas, you know, they would just create these bets. They'd say, okay, if I can do this, then you have to do this. You know, you have to do this funny dance or you have to show up to the call wearing this. And they started to have a lot of fun with it. Um, and so one of my favorites is this little clip right here. It's, it's very brief, but we had a rap battle over WebEx when one of our business units hit their sales target. So the GM, the former GM of IBM's security business unit is on WebEx right there in the Boston office. And then this is a little clip of what it looked like in the New York side. We had official lighting and there was a whole crew that came out for this rap battle. So you can see that's the back of our CMO. So we had rap battles. Similarly, when another team hit their sales target, we dyed our hair blue. Um, so us in the New York office, you can see that's the CMO of North America, IBM CMO, and then me and my team of self-proclaimed Tableau fangirls, we all dyed our hair blue when one of our sales teams hit their target. Um, and, you know, I put and more there. I'm actually wearing, we got shirts too that say wake up, kick, sass, repeat. So, you know, maybe a little culty, but we had a lot of fun with it because it was, you know, it could sometimes get really stressful. And this is, you know, hard stuff that we're talking about. We're trying to grow an area of the business. So that's what the initiative looked like as a whole. How did it actually work? When you're trying to grow an area of your business, there are two options, two areas that you can really focus on. The first is you can try and improve yield. So this is essentially doing more with what you already have, taking the pipeline, taking the clients you already have, and trying to do better with it. On the other side, you can generate more demand and essentially go out and try and find new clients and find new business. Since when we joined this initiative, we were already partway through the quarter, we knew that we needed to act fast and really do the most with what we already have. So we needed to work on improving our yield, knowing that we would come back to looking into generating demand later. And as an analytics team, what we started doing was just sitting in a room and asking questions. And honestly, that's what any good analytics team should do. Sit in a room and ask questions that you think the answers would help grow the business in some sort of way. So we was in a room, we'd, we'd throw questions on whiteboards, and one of the first ones that we arrived at that we decided to run with was, where can we host SaaS-specific events to yield our high-priority pipeline? So we thought this concept of having really curated progression events for our clients that had open opportunities, if we could analyze pipeline and figure out the best locations to have those, we thought that'd be a really great yield tactic. So as the analytics team, we started analyzing all the team's pipeline and giving them recommendations for where we thought they should host these events. And we started in a safe place that everybody was familiar with, PowerPoint and Excel. And so essentially what we were doing, we would analyze their pipeline, we would identify some cities for them, and we would provide them with this. Archaic clip art looking image with some pins dropped on it, and then a little summary chart that said, these are your top three cities based on the pipeline we found. And as you can imagine, this didn't go over super well. So 
In true agile fashion, we had retrospectives throughout this entire initiative. So we were always checking back. Not only did we do what we said we were going to do, but also is what we're doing even working? Does it even make sense for you know, our users? And so as an analytics team, we had a retrospective. And the biggest thing that we took away as our own personal team was that these custom weekly PowerPoint Excels were time consuming and not scalable. You know, I mentioned there are multiple business units involved in this initiative. There were six business units involved in this initiative. So that was six meetings each week. And that meant six PowerPoints and six Excels that my team was preparing, not just on the event insights, but other insights as well. So we were just like, oh my goodness, this is, this is just so much work. This is not working well. And to make matters even worse is that our stakeholders had additional knowledge that would have impacted our recommendations. So you know, these PowerPoint Excel files weren't even fully useful for them either because they had some piece of knowledge that would have changed the recommendation. An example of that is, if you think back to the previous slide, I think one of the cities that was recommended was Dallas. Well, the team might come to us and say, well, we, don't, we actually already are thinking about doing an event in Dallas. That's already kind of in the works, so can you give us a different city instead? Or they would come back and say, we're only really focusing on this one offering in our portfolio, like that's our strategic priority, so can you re-pull all of the insights only for that product? So we were like, you know, not only was it time consuming for us, but it wasn't even providing the best value to our stakeholders. And then, again, you know, I was talking about the, the products. There was a, just more information was needed by the teams to get the really specific views that they needed for their business. And so, again, true agile fashion, fail fast. And the great thing about this not working at the beginning is that myself and like our analytics team, we were already really familiar with Tableau. We used Tableau on a regular basis, and it was really the stakeholders that felt uncomfortable using it. But when we had, we tried this, you know, this first method, it then allowed us the opportunity to introduce a better solution to our stakeholders and say, hey, you know how you really don't like those Excel and PowerPoints? Now, let's try Tableau instead. And so this is what we did. We stuck everybody's open pipeline in a dashboard on a map where they could go in and see their concentrations of open pipeline. At the top, we added a set of really specific filters so teams could get whatever view they wanted. If they were only looking for a certain product, if they only wanted opportunities that were you know, maybe closing at a certain time, they could put exactly what layers that they wanted on it. Then in the middle, we had a visual representation of all of the pockets of open opportunities. So you could come in as a user and see, you know, that area looks interesting. It looks like we have a lot of, you know, opportunities there. Can we zoom in and actually see what's going on in that geographical area? Then we had total values that people could really understand the impact of their selection. So if they zoomed in and selected an area, it would then tell you exactly how much pipeline and how many opportunities you were looking at. So they could come back to their team and say, hey, you know, we think we should do an event here based on these aggregate numbers. And then perhaps the most important section of all was at the bottom, we added specific opportunity details, and so teams could go and action this. And so in the details section, we provided client names, the seller names, so if you were a marketing team, you could then go have an actual conversation with that seller. Imagine that, right? <laughs> Sales and marketing talking. And so that was probably the most important section down at the bottom, which teams could download off the Tableau workbook. I should also stop here and say that we have Tableau Server, so anybody with an ID, an IBM ID, could log in and access this dashboard and download the data. Zooming in a little more, so if someone was, you know, they saw they had maybe a concentration of opportunity in the New York area, they could zoom in, and I'm from New York, so I chose this example. You know, you'd zoom into New York City and see, you know, there's about a million dollars of pipe there and 50 deals. And maybe that sounds good to you and your business, you say that makes a lot of sense for us, so we're gonna try and have an event there. 
And then you can make a selection, and you may actually want to select all the surrounding areas as well because you think those clients would be willing to travel to New York. And then at the bottom, you know, finally you can actually plan the event if you're the marketing team, and then if you're the sales team, you can really work and start to invite those clients. So this really started to help our marketing teams and sales teams have better conversations with each other. Because rather than marketing working in a silo where they would say, we think we should have this event here, you know, maybe based on industry trends, they could look at actual sales pipeline and then take it to the sellers and say, hey, does it make sense for these, cl these clients of yours to come to this event? So a lot of really great conversations. And you know, it really uncovered insights that people may not have known. One of my, uh, one thing that I really love that someone told me was that they had an event planned, I think somewhere in Texas, and when they came in and looked at this map, they saw they had a huge concentration, I think in the Midwest, um, I think in like Minneapolis. And they were like, wow, we had no idea we had so many clients in Minneapolis, so we're gonna plan an event there. They planned an event there, and the Minneapolis event, it the registrations filled up in like a couple of days and the team was so excited they couldn't believe it and they were like our event we have in Texas hasn't filled up yet and so you know this really shows when you have some data to go alongside your marketing actions you can really have great impact one of my favorite examples is this event called AI and the future of work so AI and the future of work was an event that was put on by IBM Watson's marketing team at our Watson Experience Center in New York City and it was essentially a very highly curated event. They made really specific content based on the clients who were going to be in the room. Um, and it was a great example of a partnership between marketing and sales and great data. And there were really three steps that the team took to be successful. The first was that they identified all of the pipeline that they wanted to be at this event. So again, they used our tool, that dashboard I was just showing you, to go and look and see, you know, we want to have this event in New York because that's where our Watson Experience Center is. What are the clients we think should be attending? And then they actually went and validated those opportunities. Again, imagine that, sales and marketing talking together. They went and validated it with the sales team and said, hey, we're having this event. Does it make sense for this client to be there? Are there any other clients you would recommend to be on the list? And by involving sales in the process, they took it a step further and said, you know, what content then do you think makes sense for these clients? So it wasn't just what clients should be invited, it was then how can we as marketing tailor our content to be you know, even more specific to these clients? And then, you know, both teams put it to work. So on the marketing side, you know, they went, they got the great venue, they had an awesome speaker, they got the editor-in-chief of Wired to come, and they were really honing that agenda. Then on the sales side, because the team had been so empowered to be involved in this process, they were on the ground inviting their clients, trying to get people there. They actually, I remember one of the clients that was coming from Connecticut, they got a party bus to get them to the event. And so it was really, really this like fun effort of both teams trying to do everything we could to not only get clients to the event, Event, but create the content that we thought would be most impactful for them. And this is what it looked like. So they filled the room, and overall they had 87 client attendees who represented over 100 open opportunities for the Watson business unit. And you know, the other great thing, because sales was so involved in the process, they also set up a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings between top executives at IBM and top executives at these clients. And the great thing is that the team didn't stop here. This event was so successful in New York that they packaged it up and went and took it out to their markets. So they did this event again in London and in Sydney and I think a few other cities as well. And they brought it online too. So they went and had an online live webinar event and then they packaged it up and left it as on demand as well. So anybody to this day can go and access the same content. 
and the, I know the live event had over 1,000 registrations, and there were over 2,400 2, registrations for the on-demand event. So again, this just really goes to show you that when you have sales and marketing work together, but you're powered by really great data in an accessible tool like Tableau, teams can make this really great work happen. So really great value proposition for Tableau is what I was just describing. You know, taking some sort of manual process out of Excel and PowerPoint and moving it into Tableau. But perhaps the area where my team and I found the most usefulness with Tableau was using it in an iterative, consultative approach and using it essentially as an agile tool. And here's how that worked. We would start with an idea. Either our team would have an idea or we would get an idea from a stakeholder. Um, you know, those questions, sitting in a room asking questions that I was describing earlier. We'd start somewhere. We would then build a Tableau prototype very quickly. So the whole point of this was to be very fast. We would build a fast prototype and we would bring it to our stakeholders and get their feedback on it and try and see, you know, is this something that is useful to you? Is it not? Do you have additional feedback? Things that would make this more useful. Based on their feedback, we would improve that prototype and bring it to them again. And then we would start to monitor the dashboard usage and feedback. And you know, a really great note on monitoring the dashboard, dashboard usage and feedback, not everything worked. So sometimes people would come to us and they would say, you know, actually, this isn't really gonna help us grow our business. We don't like this, we don't like these insights. It doesn't make sense. And we'd say, okay, fine, and we'd, we'd get rid of it. But, you know, on the other side, you, we also had people coming to us saying, this is awesome, we love this, we're totally going to use this. But, as I mentioned, we had Tableau Server. So as an analytics team, we could actually log in and see exactly who was accessing the tools, how many times they accessed it, when they had last accessed it. And so we essentially knew when people were lying to us. We were like, all right, guys, come on, you say you're going to use it, but we can see nobody's accessed this in over a week. You know, I think we're probably not going to carry on with this tool. So it was the whole idea of this process was that not everything had to work. Um, and an example of how this actually worked in action was on one of our calls, a very senior IBM sales leader presented a pain point. And that pain point was that I, you know, I'm a sales leader, I know that there are some concerns with my pipeline health, but I usually get these aggregate numbers and I don't really know what's going on under the hood. He said, you know, I, I know I have this long tail of pipeline and that's maybe aging, but it's obscured in these aggregate numbers. I wish I could have an easier way to understand the health of my pipeline. So based on that pain point, my team and I went and we built a Tableau prototype that we thought could help alleviate that. Similar to the last rotation I just took you through, we brought that to the next weekly win room call with the same sales leaders and with the marketing leaders, and we presented it to them. And they gave us a lot of great feedback, especially a lot of the sales teams. They were telling us, you know, we need certain filters, we need certain views in order to make this actionable from a sales perspective. So we iterated and we added additional filters, data points, views based on that feedback. This tool, ended up having very high usage stats. Teams loved it. We had no idea, and again, you know, it's the whole iterative process. We had no idea that teams were going to like this so much. And many of our sales teams implemented it into all of their cadences. And this is what it looked like. I'm gonna pause here, because this is kind of an ugly visual. You guys have all seen Tableau Public, right? Like, they have beautiful vizs. And, you know, there's people on my analytics team who are just complete wizards at making gorgeous visualizations. The thing is, is that the way we were using Tableau, we didn't really care 
about the visualization. That was not the point. The point of using Tableau here was using it as an agile product to quickly get data to stakeholders so they could consume it and make a decision that we thought would impact the business. Knowing that, you know, in the future, if we really wanted to go back and fix it up and make it prettier, we could do that. But again, the point was to be fast and to be actionable. So again, you know, I'm presenting these, these dashboards, but please don't take them as visualization best practices because they may not be that, that appealing. But again, you know, this dashboard, it serves its purpose and it works very similarly to the the event dashboard that I showed earlier. So at the top, you have all the sets of filters that the teams had asked for that they thought could make this actionable for them. And then we also had a summary view of what the pipeline health looked like so people could quickly digest it. Very similar to the event dashboard, we then had a specific opportunity details section because that was what we knew that teams needed if they actually wanted to, you know, action or do anything with this information. And then at the bottom, based on the feedback from that sales leader, we tried to really show that long tail visual of you know, how certain pipeline was aging and when it was being updated um, and provide that, like I said, that additional visual of the long tail. Zooming into the quadrant here, this pipeline health quadrant, the way that we as an analytics team were starting to split pipeline up was based on two, two factors. One was the median days to win for that product and the other was the last time that that sales opportunity had been updated in the CRM system by a seller. Because we believe that, you know, if there's deals that are actively, or, or actively being worked that are still under the day swim, that would be healthy, and so on and so forth. So I'll, I'll take you through these quadrants. Starting in the top left, we had investigate. So this was pipeline that was over the time we expected it to win, so it was more than the median days to win for that product. However, it was still actively being updated. So we thought that was worthy of an investigation. You know, maybe there's some sales enablement that's needed there, or maybe there's some support, or there's something going on with that opportunity that, you know, we think you should investigate and look into it. On the other side, you have healthy, which I just mentioned. That's all the pipeline that is still within the time we would expect it to win, and it's actively being worked. Then underneath that, you have the take action. So those are deals that are not actively being worked, However, they're still within the time frame that we would expect it to win. So maybe there needs to be some reprioritization there. Maybe it's sitting with a seller who has too much on their plate and it needs to go to someone else. And then in the bottom left, you have cleanup. So this is all the stuff that, you know, not only is it old, but it's not really being updated either. And so Tableau really gave us a lot of practical functionality to make this visual come to life. So at the most basic level, we created all of these quadrants in separate sheets and we colored them just to optimize, just to show you what is optimal behavior. The most important thing I would say here is tooltips. So at a company the size of IBM, whenever you see metrics, you always have to ask, how is that calculated or what does that include? In this case, our median days to win calculation had a lot of different levels. It was at a product level, there was a market component to it. So if anybody hovered over that light bulb, they could see exactly what those calculations, what levels they were done at. We also used a parameter because based on sales feedback, we were getting a, a lot of sales teams with shorter sales cycles saying, you know, we expect our teams to be updating their deals every 15 days at least, maybe more. And then on the other side, there were teams with longer sales cycles saying, you know, every 30 days, that's good enough for us. We have a longer cycle. We wouldn't expect something less. Based on that conflicting feedback, you know, we used a parameter in Tableau to help teams toggle between them. So again, nothing too crazy, nothing, nothing uh, like crazy impressive viz or functionality, but this was what gave people the practical functionality to understand their business and take action. And now going back to those original focus areas of improving yield or generating demand, the question that we assigned to this tool was what deals should be investigated or actioned to strengthen the health of my pipeline? And my team and I, we repeated this process 
many, many times. So this initiative took place over a little over two quarters, and so we repeated this process many times. There were a lot of things that didn't work, and there were a lot of things that did. And what we, what we realized at the end of the day was that there were about 10 questions that teams felt were really useful to them and that we had helped them design either an analytical capability or we'd done some analysis outside of Tableau as well. And we put those into what we called a yield and demand framework, essentially questions across certain focus areas that you could help grow your business. So on the yield side, you already saw two of those. The first was the events, and the second was pipeline health. But we also asked questions and created capabilities for teams to help them identify areas for digital nurture, where we think a marketing digital touch would best be used next. We also looked into seller performance. Were there certain seller performance traits that we thought you know, merited sales enablement, or you know, maybe they just needed some additional help with those opportunities? What were the different analytical factors we could look at to determine seller performance? And then we also asked a lot of questions about prioritizing pipeline. You know, when you're a big company, you have a, very, you have a lot of pipeline. And so what are the opportunities we should really focus on to get the most out of our pipeline? And then similarly, on account side, there were certain accounts where there were big concentrations of pipeline, and we thought maybe those accounts needed some special attention, or you need a special partnership with the, you know, the client exec on that account. On the demand side, we asked four questions. The biggest one was about cross-sell. So our data science team had actually built a cross-sell model that didn't really live in a visualization yet, and they were still trying to figure out how to implement it. So we test drove it on this initiative. We put it, the model, the results from the model, into a visualization, and we were working with teams, to, with the sales teams, the actual people who would be cross-selling these products to see, you know, do these recommendations, do you think they make sense? We also looked into market expansion. So if there were certain products that were sold in a certain market um, that account may have a location in another market that we could also sell that to. So were there areas that we could expand? Since we were marketing, we did a lot of campaign optimizations too, looking at the campaigns that were driving the most for certain areas of the business and just how to optimize them digitally. And then similarly, we looked at events again on the demand side as well. So not just the events that we thought would help close pipeline, but events that we thought would help us find new consumers. And so these were the 10 questions that we settled on throughout the initiative that we thought were really driving value for teams. And again, I said we did this over the course of a long time. You know, we didn't just throw 10 questions at people and say, have at it. You know, there was some time delay between these rolling out. But also, in the agile fashion, you could pick and choose from this list. So not every business unit involved in this initiative was exactly the same. And so essentially, we put this framework in front of teams, and we let them pick, you know, pick one or two things this week, try them out, and if they don't work, come back to the list and let's try something else. And like I said, these were the things that people were testing and trying out that they found were really working for their business. And to make it even easier for teams to access, we created an internal portal page that we called the Yield and Demand Analytics Portal, where people could come and access all of this information. So as a dashboard perspective, we had all of our reports and dashboards linked directly on this portal. At the top, I realized I didn't really mention this, but we had um, some executive reports that we created in Tableau as well. I've been focusing more on like the analytical actions, but we would always start these weekly win room calls with a touch base. You know, where are we towards hitting our targets? You know, how are we doing? There's a lot of leaderboards. So that was at the top of the portal. Everybody could come in and get that information. Then we had all of the dashboards that supported those yield framework questions that teams could use and go and get that information. 
And then at the bottom, we had some dashboards that supported the demand framework questions. And just a note here, you know, there wasn't a Tableau dashboard that came out of every single question. Some of it was more just best practices and analyses on the side um, that we were supporting teams with. But these were the ones that actually we created dashboards for. And in addition to just linking the tools, we also provided, you know, lots of enablement materials. So this, this didn't happen overnight. You know, we had recordings for all of these tools. We had lots of one-on-ones and learning sessions with teams. They were talking about creating a data culture earlier. You can't just throw this stuff at people and hope that it'll stick. What you can do is you really have to bring everybody into the same room and get them speaking the same language. So we had a lot of guides and enablement guides and recordings on this portal so people could learn how to use these tools and also how people could share best practices and see how other teams were using them. So with all that said, you know, we were constantly measuring our success. And we, it wasn't just, it was, it was small successes, you know, did we do what we say we were doing? You know, how did, you know, we had an event, how did it go? But also our financial success. And the greatest thing too is that teams, I just mentioned, teams would come together and share best practices. So if they had an event that went really well, they would come into these calls and share it with everyone. Or if it didn't go so well, they would also share what not to do. So it was a really, really great culture of trying new things, taking action, having ownership, and then constantly having retrospectives and measuring your success. And it was really awesome because we woke up, we kicked ass and repeated, and we ultimately grew our business in third quarter, and then we doubled that growth in the fourth quarter. So it just goes to show you that when you have great data and teams on a collective mission, you can drive actual business results. So this was really rewarding for everyone to see because everybody had really buckled down and we were trying something new. And it was just, you know, originally not everybody believed in it. So it was great to see that for the people especially who believed in it from the start, that you could drive real business results. So, I know you've heard a lot of me talking about all the different things that we did, and I want to make sure to summarize this feedback for you so you can take it and, you know, try it at home. But rather than listen to me keep talking, I called in a favor from someone at IBM to tell you some of the biggest takeaways that we had from this initiative. Hi there, Michelle Peluso, SVP of Digital Sales and Chief Marketing Officer at IBM. Last year, we had the big task in front of us of really growing our SaaS business, our as-a-service business, and we decided to really shape things up and do things differently. And if I think about our success, and we were successful, five things really spring to mind. First of all, we made it a daily mission. We moved away from weekly calls, monthly calls, to really what do we do every day in stand-ups as a team to drive progression forward. The second thing is we were agile to the core, leveraging new capabilities and new tools like Trello. We moved away from PowerPoints, away from Excel spreadsheets, and really ensured that agile teams on a mission could dive into the data and make sure that we were focused on the most important things that day. Third thing is we use data transparency and visualization. I can't tell you how exciting and extraordinary it was to see our Agile teams empowered with tools like Tableau and data to make sure that they were autonomous and empowered to move teams forward. Fourth, we were very focused on only having the people in the room that could actually change the outcomes. No passengers, we like to say really focused on leaders wherever they sat in the organization that were rolling up their sleeves and making a difference. And perhaps finally, we believed in the principles of over-celebrating and over-communicating. So whether it was stand-up celebrations, the occasional rap song, contest galore, we made sure that everybody on the team had fun. It was incredibly rewarding for me to see the marketing analytics team step up in new and exciting ways. 
and I got countless calls from very senior business leaders across all of IBM, across our 160 countries, asking for their support, their help in moving the business forward in the quarter. That's the power of Agile teams on a mission, empowered by great data and fantastic tooling. Thanks. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Michelle is a really great leader and very inspirational for me as someone up and coming in this space. And the one other thing I would say is a, is a big takeaway. You know, that's the CMO of IBM talking about this initiative. You need champions wherever they are in your organization if you want to make something like this work. You don't need to make everybody believe in this from the start. Although I can say by the end, a lot of people believed in this when they saw the business results. But you need someone in the executive leadership capacity to really believe in this mission and some teams to get it going. So with that, thank you all so much for your time today. If you could review this session, I would love to hear your feedback. I'll also be around the conference if you ever want to come talk to me. But remember, if you want to talk to me, please talk data to me. Thank you so much, everyone. And now we can open up for questions. So if anyone has a question they want to ask, we do have some people with mics. Um, it looks like there's someone over here. And I'll also be hanging around after the session if you want to come chat. A simple question. Very exciting to hear the win-room concept versus uh, war-room every company would have. So the question is, why do you choose a week as agile I iteration versus like like 10 days, 15 days? Yeah, so the question was, why do we choose a week instead of a longer period of time, 10 or 15 days? So we wanted to move really fast, and so that was essentially why we did every week. We just wanted to check base every single week with our team. So we were scheduling these calls on a weekly basis. It was just easy to come into that space. And I understand that some of these initiatives, you know, it takes more than a week to plan an event. But at least if we were checking base and seeing if there were any blockers on a weekly basis rather than waiting, um, it let us get ahead of things. So like if you were planning an event and you had a blocker and you waited 15 days, you waited two weeks instead of one week to help someone remove that blocker, it then really delays your ability to take action. So even if the actions themselves took longer than a week, we wanted to at least touch base every week. Yes, question over here. Hi. Um, great presentation. Thank you. Um, I'm curious how subscribed you guys were to the agile ro roles that you usually typically have on a team. Yeah. I find that to be a big problem uh, in my company and other companies that nobody wants to dedicate the resources to truly get a good agile workflow going. And I'm curious if you guys had dedicated scrum masters, et cetera, like that with your program. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting question. So the question was, did we have dedicated agile roles? And the answer is, we actually didn't. Um, but there was this sense of ownership where as the analytics team, and we actually had people managing Trellos that would work with the teams, so we weren't, we weren't exactly a scrum master, but we were having all these check-ins with every team involved in the initiative, and they did name focals from each unit to sort of lead it, so it wasn't in the really intense scrum master terminology, but there were focals and leaders from every part of the business that would have to check in in between the sprints, so there was a sense of ownership there. Hi, I appreciate your presentation. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, also, I'm asked at my company, 
why Tableau? Why not ClickSense or Power BI? So why did you choose Tableau and did you try any other tools? Yeah, that's a great question. So why Tableau and why not other tools? And the thing about Tableau, the official stance that our team has taken is that Tableau is our testing and prototyping tool. It is one of the fa t fastest tools we found to, that any user on our data team can throw a data set into and put something in front of stakeholders. So, you know, I'm not going to speak to more big enterprise reports. I would say it really depends on what you're trying to do with it. And for our purpose, when we're trying these agile initiatives where we're just testing and prototyping, Tableau is without a doubt one of the best. Hi, thanks for the, pre thanks for the presentation. Um, for one question, you showed a uh, portal, uh, I think the yield and demand analytics portal. Yeah. Uh, did, you, can, did you use some off-the-shelf tools to develop that, oh. or was it kind of built from scratch? How, could, could you elaborate yeah. on that? That's a great question. So our yield and demand analytics portal, I mean, luckily enough, we're a large company, so we have like an internal like wiki and, and website publishing system, so all these internal web pages. So we actually just took an internal web page and set up all of our content on it. So, yeah. <laughs> Hi, thank you for the presentation. My question relates to the culture. Mm -hmm. What did you do to get everybody on the same page with the terminology and the culture? Yeah, that's a great question. So to get everybody on the same page, I think it was really those weekly calls and every call in between. So you would have all the senior leaders on those weekly calls all using the same terminology, and so that really starts to ingrain it into people. I mean, you could even hear me. I was saying some of the things that Michelle said in her video because it was so ingrained in my own vocabulary because she kept saying them. But then, you know, I was starting to mention as the analytics team, and there was, you know, another marketing team involved helping with the Trello, we would meet with all the business units in between these calls to even keep, you know, hammering this in that this is the agile terminology, this is the agile practice, this is the data we have. So, you know, it wasn't just those weekly meetings, as, you know, I point out, it was a daily mission. And, meeting with teams. So you mentioned your use of Tableau Server. Mm -hmm. Now, did you publish dashboards specifically for management or, or different audiences there? And because you mentioned that, I guess, everybody with a particular IBM account could, could access those? Yeah, that's a great question. So Tableau Server, um, ours is set up so that anybody, there's a whole like IBM group. If you put that in your permissions, anyone at IBM can access. And all of our analytics tools were accessible to anyone at IBM. The executive reporting that I didn't really touch on, because that had just financial information, we actually uploaded specific user lists of people to access those dashboards. So there was a combination of specific user lists based on the information shown and everybody in the company having access. But you could manage that all through Tableau Server. Um, hey, so how big is your analytics team, and how do you, I guess, um, how do your members, how do you split out the workload and to still, like, collaborate the yeah. way that you were talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. So our analytics team as a whole, I mean, it's from this initiative, it's, it's grown insanely because we've taken over all of our platforms and like all of our databases, like that all sits in marketing analytics. I think in our New York office alone, it's like maybe 100 people, which is a lot. But our specific project team for this initiative was only four of us. 
So that's the way our team is split up, is like when you have initiatives and projects, it's usually only like two, three, or four analysts on a project. And so the way that we divided work up for this was we would just, we would sit down and list out every morning. We'd say, here's all the work on our plate. What do we think can drive the most business value? And then someone would go from our team and start working on it. So if we, we always kind of had a backlog and we would just try and prioritize what was the most important. So usually if there was like a question and a tool being made, like someone, one person on the four person team would own that whole tool and all the enablement for it. So like I showed you how we had all those dashboards at the end, different people in our four person team owned the entire end to end process for those dashboards. So the data wrangling, the actually creating the viz, creating the enablement. So I, I, I'm sorry. Hello. Oh. Over here, oh. <laughs> back Hi. corner, upper deck in the bleachers. Um, <laughs> So, a couple questions. You were talking about the phone calls where you had, um, you would have like an insight contest on, on mm -hmm. each call. So, like, what, what were the level of participants in those calls? Were those analysts? Were those like uh, senior leaders? Were those the users of your dashboards? Yeah, that's a great question. And so we, I feel like I'm saying that to all these questions. They're all great questions, everyone. Um, and so there were really two, two layers. On these weekly win room calls, these had our most senior leaders on them. So it had all the sales leaders, it had the GM, it had the CMO, and they were providing feedback on these tools. Like they were actually expected, that was the other thing, they were expected to be users of these tools. So our CMO, like she would go in and look and be like, hey, such and such business unit, why haven't you, are you actually looking into this pipeline health metric? It says that you have this much to be investigated. So if she was using it, they were expected to use it too. So they would provide, you know, high level insight on what would make it more actionable. But then, as I mentioned, as an analytics team, we were meeting in between these weekly calls with teams with some of the more you know, analysts, the individuals who are marketers or analysts or individual sellers to get their tactical feedback. So there were, there were tiers of feedback. Yeah. Also, this uh, is sort of- question. This is- um, oh, Sorry, did, similar, you, did you have one more thing? Yeah, I had one more quick thing. Oh, so um, you were showing that analytics portal. This is sort of a technical question, but so was that, that was in your server site, but embedded into your in Intranet? So it's like an internal like wiki system that IBM has where like anybody could create an internal web page. Um, I don't know exactly how they set that up. Okay. I Sorry. was just wondering if that was your, your server site that we were looking at. Oh, no, no, no. So it doesn't, it, that didn't have anything to do with Tableau. That was just like an internal uh -oh, publications, okay. like it. website development uh, system that we have. Yeah, I'm curious. I really liked your line, uh, your quote about no passengers. I was wondering how hard it was to keep people active and what you did there, and did you ever have to kick anybody off the bus? Yeah, that's a great question. The question was on the no passengers quote. Um, when we actually first started doing these calls, first of all, the CMO, Michelle, because she was in all six of these calls each week, she would look at the invitee list, and she would say, why is that person on? Is that person doing something? So she would, she would trim it down herself, and then teams could start to add people as it made sense. But I remember being on calls with her where someone who hadn't spoken the entire time and had their camera off, she would say, like, hey, Joe, do you have any, are, are you working on anything? And she would call people out. So people actually, they didn't show up to these calls unless they had something that they were ready to maybe talk to the CMO about. So again, it really takes senior champions to make something like this work and people who are really bought into the, the initiative. I think we'll take one more, one more question. Uh, just very short question. So you are a win-room concept uh, and uh, you have SaaS, software as a service. Uh -huh. 
do you use this WinRoom as a software as a service provided for everybody else? Sorry, it was what role is software as a service? As yeah, do you, do you open this uh, WinRoom concept as a soft, software as a service to open to any other people? Oh, yes, that's a great question. And I, I think you were saying, did we take this initiative that we use for software as a service and open up to the rest of the business? Um, so our analytics tools, when we originally made them to be as fast as we could, we really limited our data set only to the teams that were involved. But then towards the end, we actually scaled out the data sets for these tools so other, other teams could access them as well. Yeah. So I think with that, if anybody has any other questions, I'm going to be hanging around after, so feel free to come up. But thank you all so much for coming and sticking around through the end of the q and I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone.